Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. But give thought to do what is honorable, some translations say respectful, in the sight of all. Now, sometimes I understand when people do bad things to us, when people hurt us, when people wound us, or when people hurt or wound those that we love, we want to do something. You know, we want to do unto others what they did unto us to the people that we love. But that is not the way of the Christian. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past you've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his study through the Book of Romans with a series of messages he's entitled, Changed Relationships with God. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you that it summarizes everything from Genesis to Revelation. We thank you, Father, that so much is packed to 16 chapters and that it is written in such an understandable way. Help us, therefore, to think about what we hear, to think about what we read, and to apply it in our lives in each of our own contexts and situations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are again. We are in Romans. And Romans is our larger study called Understanding the Faith. If you understand the book of Romans, you understand the Christian faith. If you get Romans, you get Christianity. You understand the content of the Old and the New Testaments. As Pastor Chris mentioned, it is a breathtaking epistle. It is the most important letter ever written. When I think of Romans, and a lot of times we really don't think about the impact that the Bible has on our daily lives. But if it were not for Romans, Luther wouldn't have read, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation to all who believe the Jew first and to the Greek, for it is written... The just shall live by his faith. Were it not for that passage, we would be like the Muslims today with their five pillars or six pillars of Islam, praying in a language that we don't understand to a God that we don't know. There wouldn't be a Bible in the English language. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know the way of eternal life unless you stumble over it all by your lonesome if you were literate enough. The literacy levels that the world enjoys, the art, the idea of the separation of church and state, all these things, all of these things started with a man reading the Bible and blossomed. The gospel was recovered, the true gospel. 
That's, Romans is the most important letter ever written. It, changes, it changed the course of history. It changes the course of eternity for lots of people. And it will change your life if you let it, if you embrace it, if you soak in its aroma, if you drink deeply from this well. And so we're in Romans as part of a larger strategy for this church to reach the community for Jesus Christ. Romans, as we talked about before, is structured in such a way that the first 11 chapters are all about the principles or the doctrines or the underlying concepts of Christianity, the infrastructure. And chapters 12 through 16 are about the application of those principles. Chapters 1 through 11 are theology, and chapters 12 through 16 are the application of that theology or worship. We began Romans chapter 12, which is the which is where we turn the corner from access to the truth to application of the truth with these words. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And what we learn is everything that we say, think, and do is worship. Worship is how we live out our faith intelligently, thoughtfully, not doing a bunch of mindless rituals or reciting a bunch of mindless prayers over and over again, but praying from the heart to God, not praying to dead people, but praying to the living, the one, the true, and the only God. That's worship. And that's what we're talking about today in Romans 12. Now, we talked about worship and how the gospel changes everything. It changes your worship. And then a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chris in Romans 12, 3, in Romans, beginning in Romans 12, 3 through 8, he, he preached about how the gospel, how salvation changes your relationship with in the church, how you relate to the body of Christ, how you, as an act of worship with your mind and your soul changed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit through the working of the Word of God in your life, how you become part of a larger whole, how in humility you put your gifts to work for the glory of God, for the good of others in your own growth. And then last week, Pastor Chris, and I, I guess the linchpin verses last week were verses 10 and 11, talked about how we relate to each other individually within the church, seeking to outdo one another in humility and serving one another. The salvation, the gospel changes all these relationships. It changes the way you relate to the person next to you. You come alongside them. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep. When they hurt, you hurt. When they rejoice, you rejoice. And today we continue along those lines into Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. And this message is all about how the gospel and the salvation it brings affects the way that you and I treat our enemies or those people who behave as if they were our enemies. Again, this is all about how the gospel, how salvation changes everything. And today I want to talk to you about how salvation and the gospel changes the way that you and I treat people who don't treat us so well. And to do that, I want to tell you a little story, a true story, and it's a sad story. It's about Kay Cole James. Most of you don't know who she is. There she is, Kay Cole James. Kay Cole James was appointed to Google's Advanced Technology External Advisory Council to develop an ethical system, to be part of a group to develop an ethical system with regard to the management and deployment and creation of artificial intelligence. That's where computers almost think like people. 
They have to have an ethical system. And so the company drew people from different fields and different endeavors and different perspectives and different ethnicities and things like that. And they brought her in to be part of this board. Now, she is what some people would call a a political centrist. She's not too far to the left and she's not too far to the right. Yet, peculiarly, over 2,000 Google employees circulated a petition demanding her removal, labeling her as a white supremacist and a homophobe. And after a while, the company did just that. They were embarrassed and they, ha- they removed her. And then they disbanded the whole committee because you know, they're just trying to lower the temperature of the, its workforce, you might say. Now, some people found the allegations against her peculiar. Why would that be? Well, it should be intuitively obvious to the casual observer that she's African-American. And it would be kind of hard to be a white supremacist and be African-American, wouldn't it? But we live in a culture of feeling, of entitlement. of We live in a revenge culture. And as far as being a homophobe, she has a gay son that she loves very much. And what's really peculiar about this whole thing is, is that in 1961, she was part of a handful of black students that integrated an all-white junior high in Virginia. And she talks about the day that a white boy threw her down a flight of stairs because she was black. Now, it's kind of hard for me to think of her as a white supremacist, but this is the way that our culture is. Anybody you don't like, you label them. Anybody that doesn't think like you, believe like you, you marginalize them. And one of the amazing things about her is when she got attacked by what I would call a cyber lynch mob, her response was very different than the people who attacked her. She tried to explain to them that instead of ugly rancor, I'm quoting her, we should show respect to one another. Now, some of us, if we were attacked and labeled that way, we might say bad things to the people who said bad things to us, but not her, not her. She showed decency, she showed restraint, and this view is consistent with what the scriptures teach. And so I want you to turn here in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 21 to understand maybe how to think like she thinks. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. And what does it say there? It says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And finally, in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What I want to do today is to look into that passage, and I want us to develop three responses to those people who treat us badly, to those people who would seek to marginalize us as Christians in this culture, particularly in Northern California, to those who would call us homophobes, white supremacists, whatever it is, so they don't have to think about what we believe. Because that's what it's all about, really. It's not about in these days of religious persecution and these days of marginalization and hateful speech. It's about thinking, not feeling. And so how do you need to think? What do you need to do? What do I need to do when people lash out at us for any reason? And so today I want to give you three responses so that you can worship God, so that you can do the unexpected. That's what our sermon is entitled today, Do the Unexpected, so that you can do what they don't expect, so that you can bring glory to God, good to them, 
and ultimately growth, sanctification to yourselves. And our first response is this. When somebody does something bad to you in the home, I know people who consider their spouses their enemies. In the workplace, sometimes people don't treat you nice at work because of who you are, what you believe, or because of how you look. Or in the classroom, at the university. The first thing you need to do when people treat you badly, when they label you, when they, when they marginalize you, when they dehumanize you, you need to think rather than react. You need to think rather than react. Christianity, following Christ, is an act of will, an act of intelligence. It's a thoughtful thing, not purely an emotional thing. Certainly there is an emotional component to the Christian faith, but Christianity is a thoughtful religion. It is a rational religion. It makes sense. It's sensible. And where do we see that? We see that in the opening verse of our passage. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable, some translations say respectful, in the sight of all. Now sometimes I understand when people do bad things to us, when people hurt us, when people wound us, or when people hurt or wound those that we love, we want to do something. You know, we want to do unto others what they did unto us to the people that we love. But that is not the way of the Christian. There's this tendency sometimes in, hu- in fallen humanity towards reflex. Remember when you used to, in the old days, you'd cross your knee and your doctor would whack you under the knee and it would kick. Some of us, our elbow would jump up, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a reflex that you just want to hit back. You want to make them pay. But that's our flesh. We are to think rather than to react. We are to respond rather than react. We are to give thought to what will be the most exemplary example possible. How can we bring pleasure to the Savior? How can we glorify God in that instant? We have to think, and that is hard to do when you are under pressure, when you are under the stress of persecution. But we are, as we've talked about before, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our logical, thoughtful service of worship. And so we, this involves spiritually and consciously looking before we leave. It's not ready, shoot, aim. It's ready, aim, fire. And it's probably not the best analogy here. But if people do evil to us, we have to think, what can I do to glorify God in this moment? What can I do to set an example for others in this moment? What can I do to make much of Christ in this moment? This is a theme throughout the, in the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 this, see to it, that's a command, it's an imperative mood, active voice, see to it, see that no one repays evil for evil, but instead, to the contrary, Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, not just the people you like, not just the people that like you, but to everyone. Why? You've heard me say this a bazillion times. I don't know if that's a real word, but it just speaks to repetition. We live in a surveillance culture, and it's not the NSA, the CIA, Facebook, Google, or whoever else that's spying. Yeah, they're they're spying on us too, but the culture, Christians have always lived in a surveillance culture. From the days of the Colosseum in Rome to now, where the world is looking at us and watching us to see if we really, really believe what we say we do. If we really do practice what we preach. And so we have to see to it that we don't 
react like the culture, but that we, that we don't blend in with the culture, with this culture of revenge that we live in, but that we stand out as Christians, thinking rather than reacting. We are to be different. We are to think differently. They would say, well, if I were you, Keith, I would do this, and I would have to say, but on the contrary, Christ would have me do that. Look, at, look with me at 1 Peter 3, 9. It's not just Paul saying this, it's Peter saying this, and Jesus said this as well. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You were called to do this. You were called to suffer for the name of God. Of Jesus. And our responding is active worshiping. It's not a visceral reaction to pain and to an anger. It is a thoughtful, deliberate, intentional act of worship where we present our whole bodies a living sacrifice. I want to go back again to Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but on the contrary, Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And again, the first Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and. doesn't say but. It says and to everyone. See, and this, re- this requires that we refuse to lose perspective. When we lose perspective, when we lose sight of the cross, when we let other th- persons, places, or things distract us, other actions or activities draw us away, we forget our purpose. We forget that we were raised up for such a time as this. And I know that life is hard, and I know that life is frustrating, and I know that life is heartbreaking. I do. But we have to remember that we live in a fallen world, and we have been called to be salt and light. And the costs are high. And you know what? God understands our, 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 our struggles. He knows that our frame is but dust. And I'm reminded that time and time again, Old Testament to New, he gives us examples of right thinking, of how to think rightly, and of people who struggle like we do. Psalm 73 is a beautiful picture of it. Spend a week, spend some time this week doing your devotions there. But I want you to watch this person, Asaph, a man like you and I, flesh and bone, think through responding rather than reacting. And he says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And watch him think before he he acts. Watch his response to all this. Watch him avoid reacting viscerally. 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed a generation of children. You see, people are watching. Our children, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, our enemies are watching. And if we just react, if we just do it unto them the way they did it unto us, we would betray the Savior. We would betray those around us who have developed or are cultivating an interest in Christ, those whom we are discipling because we ended up worshiping some other idol rather than God. Notice the last line. He, he talked, he, you hear him complaining, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, if I would... If I would have spoken that way, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. Let it never be, Lord. That's what he's saying there. This is what we have to do. We have to to respond rather than react. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 46 through 48. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, do the same? 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is not a call to sinless perfection, but a call, a demand to be different. Holiness is differentness. You know, you have all the attributes of God, his eternality, his infinitude, his, his omniscience, his omnipotence, and holiness is the bucket that contains them all. He's different than anyone or anything in the universe, and we are called to be different than those around us, to be holy, to be perfect, to be different as he is different, to be complete, to be mature, to be maturing. He's already mature. He's already perfect. We are to strive and to struggle thoughtfully and intentionally to be like him. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. Watch this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who, who judges righteously. You and I have to follow Christ's example. We do not react. We respond. We think. We look before we leap. Then what? Well, we come to response number two. Do what's not expected rather than what's expected. It's common sense. It's thoughtfulness. It's deliberate worship. The world expects you to give a smart answer. The world expects you to shove those who shove you, but you have to do the unexpected. We see this in verses uh, 19 and 20 in Romans chapter 12. What does it say? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here's this, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. The culture says, don't get mad, get even. But the Bible says differently. And you know, he's quoting Proverbs. He's quoting the Old Testament here. People always try to make a false dichotomy between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Same God, same Jesus. Same teaching, Genesis to Revelation. People expect you to treat your enemies like dirt. That's the way your enemies tend to treat you. That's the way the culture treats the Christian these days. But you are to be different. You are to do the unexpected. The culture demands punitive damages, punishing compensation. You know, we live in a, in a modernized pagan revenge culture, you know? Reparations, compensatory damages, revenge, marginalization, canceling, things like that. But we are to do differently. Look again at verse 20. To the contrary, in contrast, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing the unexpected, we purify rather than putrefy the situation or the circumstance. Our actions, our goal, our desire should be to make things better, not worse. Our actions shouldn't cause a stink. They should disinfect the situation. Where do we see that? We see that at the tail end of verse 20. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. 
Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.